uh, I think like never before, the reality of we are the church um, is more clear to me than it has ever been in, in my entire life. Uh, I don't think there's ever been a point at which seeing your faces, um, shaking your hands, uh, just being present with you has been more valuable and more precious to me than what it is um, now. And uh, so I want to encourage you, uh, because I do not believe that this is our new normal. Um, I, I refuse to accept that, because at some point, right, um, we believe God is sovereign, and we are going to continue to, to do and be the church, uh, even if it costs us our life. And uh, so I just want to encourage you with that. Um, I also want to encourage you that the elders have been laboring over this process. And um, amidst uh, frustration and d disagreement and, um, and all of those things, we have labored for unity on this and moved together in, in the manner that we feel uh, it, it protects um, those who might show up who would who would be more concerned and really cares for uh, every individual in the body. So I want you to know the guys have been working, praying, and, and laboring over this. Um, it was not a simple thing, um, any of the decisions that we've made over the last couple of weeks as we've started looking to reopen. Um, but I am just thrilled to have you here. And for those of you that aren't here, because we invited you to come, we're glad... Are we glad that they're not here? I don't know if that's really how we want to say that. So we're glad that you can be here from there. So however that works. Uh, I am excited, you guys. I, I'm in a spot in the text where I, my, my knowledge of history is a little bit uh, is, is young, and, and so I'm learning. I've been doing a lot of research. As I shared with you guys last week, the fig tree, I had no idea that fig trees didn't grow their leaves until the end of, their, the, end of the process, towards the end of the harvest, uh, when they were beginning to be ready, um, their figs were ripening and they were ready to be harvested. What an incredible truth that that was. And as we look at um, the temple and we look at Jesus coming into the temple today, uh, I had some learning to do there as well. And it, it, there's some interesting um, small tidbits or facts that I think we will find enjoyable to wrestle with today as we consider um, the reality of the text. So would you pray with me this morning? Um, I just want to put this before the Lord and, and lean on Him. I feel very inadequate uh, when it comes to some, of the, some aspects of the text, and today's one of those. So we're going to give this whole thing to the Lord and then take off. Father, I thank You. I thank You for this body of believers. I thank You for the way in which they have loved one another, the way in which that they have extended grace and patience and kindness towards one another. It is truly a privilege. Um, to share in this family life. And as we go forward, as we move, um, Lord, into establishing a meaningful and, and uh, genuine relationship, I, I feel like almost like we're introducing ourselves to one another again, um, and that's not the way that the church is. So help us to know uh, from your hand how to navigate over the next few weeks um, as we seek to be your church. And Father, I pray that in the midst of this, that you would give us such a passion uh, for being 
your dwelling place, that we, your body, we, the church, are literally your dwelling place that you are building. Help us to see that. Help us to live in that reality every day, that, that we would see our job, our role, our privilege, our responsibility of being a disciple exercised in our daily lives. I pray this morning that you would close off any of my words Lord, and that you would speak through the text that you have been wrestling with me around, and uh, Lord, that you would do as you see fit in this time. So we give you the praise and glory for all that you're doing, and ask, Lord, that you would um, that you would take all the glory for this morning in your name, Amen. I uh, I had this uh, season in my life where. I was uh, attempting to build a trailer, and I, if you guys know anything about trying to get products built and then licensed to be on the road, there are a lot of regulations, a lot of rules, and so I was working really hard to get this trailer licensed, and I, I read the rules, and I did everything that I thought I was supposed to do, and I drug the trailer down with all the paperwork that I thought that I was supposed to have, and I get there, and the individual that was regulating the whole thing pointed out several of my flaws in the process that I had attempted to accomplish. Now, fortunately for me, my father was with me because I was a much, much, much younger man at that time. And I felt justified in explaining to this particular officer their failure to understand that I did everything that they required me to do and that all the paperwork is there. And so my father, who was much more mature and, and a little bit more gracious in that process, began to talk with the officer and slid me out of the way very graciously, and through conversation, we ended up getting the process done. It took a little bit more time, and I had to return one more, one more time with more documentation. Um, probably would not have been the outcome that I would have had, most likely, just because of my attitude at that particular time. Um, but I guess I, the thing that is, was so frustrating to me was I thought I had it right. I had gone in there, and I'd worked really hard to try and get all the details, have all the paperwork, and I went in there, and I thought I had it right, and the, this individual just came in and went, nope, and there wasn't a whole lot of grace, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity for me to change, uh, to, to get the process done, and I found myself very, very frustrated, and, and not that I'm trying to relate to the, the priests of this time, because... Um, I believe that they found Jesus to be, uh, in this particular encounter with Jesus, to be particularly similar to that in that they believed that they had everything right, that they were doing the, the stuff that they were supposed to be doing, and they had had the law figured out, and, and they, were, they were rolling quite successfully in this process. Now, the reason where I think that we can, we can separate from my illustration how I felt at that moment when I thought I had everything right and I came and I presented, I really did come with a pretty good attitude of trying to get it right. I, I wasn't actually there uh, you know, to, to demand my own thing. I thought I had followed the rules. What I think we're going to see in this process today is that although the priests were pretty, pretty insistent on their system, that uh, what Jesus found in this process was a, a place where God was not. It was supposed to be the house of God, and yet it was empty. And it was not the house of God. A couple of things that we need to understand as we go into this. Um, the first thing is, I, I found this very interesting. And uh, for those of you that have more history in this, feel free to holler at me, and you can, you can help me know when, it, when the changes happened. But when we start looking at the temple, 
If you go back in your Bibles, if you get a study Bible, you can pop it open, and you go back and you look at the tabernacle and, and what was built at that time with all the cloth and everything that Moses did in developing the tabernacle, you have three spaces. You have the court of meeting, you have the, the holy place, and then you have the most holy place, which is where the covenant sat, and out in the holy place, the priests would go in, and there, the candles were in there, and the tables, and they did a lot of their worship in that spot. But the court of meeting, the, the, the place outside of that, was for where the people were to come and gather. And it's very interesting in that process that they actually, and we're going to look at a text here as we get to Jesus's condemnation of the the religious worship at that time, that that they had violated that whole concept that God had established in the beginning. And so it's, it's very important for us to recognize that when we see this particular space, I was doing some research on Herod's temple, and it's interesting, they had a court for women, and they had a court for the Gentiles, and they had, they had turned the court of meeting into a place of segregation where they'd actually separated out. In fact, um, it is believed that there was a wall that was set up between them, um, and that this, Paul was specifically referencing that wall in Ephesians when he was talking about God breaking down that divide and, and bringing them together in peace. And um, so here in this particular house, when Jesus shows up, there's, this, there's a court of Gentiles or this court where, where all of this commerce is taking place. And they are selling and, and doing many of that. Let's read the text in uh, Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 15. The text says this, And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Now remember that the um, last week's passage was actually them coming into Jerusalem, Jesus seeing the fig tree and cursing the fig tree and, and, and coming in to the city and, and uh, actually uh, in, in engaging in the temple and beginning to clear it out and to teach in that process. Um, the the uh, Specifically, one of the things that, I, I don't know if you guys have ever ran into this, um, where you, money exchanging it, it, and how the, the value of a dollar is different than where, where it is, depending on where you're at. Um, when we went down to Mexico, we would exchange money. And typically, we would do pretty good. Um, you know, if we went down and we got into the right spot, we'd get a pretty good exchange. Well, one of our particular trips we went down, and um, I don't speak Spanish. I know that that's a real surprise to everybody, but I'm not fluent in that. Um, and hand language turns out, I'm not very good at either, um, as we were interacting and trying to communicate around this. And my interpreter, uh, who wasn't at that, wasn't there at the time, uh, was coming, but I was in, engaged trying to be, um, trying to be the leader and trying to, you know, engage with people and communicate with them. And I was excited about this opportunity. And so I'm doing this exchange for some money to get us some water. And uh, Howie Petker, he was a great big, huge, bald contractor that came down there. Not that being bald is a requirement to be on my staff, but it seemed to help. Um, I'm not sure what the deal was with that. But he was a six-foot-four guy, a uh, big contractor, and he comes in and, and fluent in Spanish, this, the softest-hearted guy you'd ever meet. Well, he walks up, 
and overhears the exchange that's going on, and he pulls me aside very graciously, and he says, um, hey, Shane, uh, you, you're not getting a fair deal on this. You, he's like, you're, you're, the math's not adding up. Do you mind if I take over? Uh, sure. Um, you can go and do that. Well, the guy, he knew I couldn't speak English, and so he was trying to get a few, or couldn't speak Spanish. Thank you. Obviously, I can't speak English either. Um, but he was trying to get uh, take advantage of us because he knew I didn't know what I was doing. He knew I didn't know the trade rate. I didn't know the math of what I was supposed to be doing. I came completely unprepared, but I was passionate and excited about making it happen. In fact, I was passionate about serving and caring for people down there. We were building the houses for families that had nothing. And so in an attempt to do that, we were trying to put all the business into their local community. So we bought all of our, all of our resources from the local community, bought our water, everything from them right there. So in my heart, I was passionately trying to serve. And it, it is believed that, that in this process, we actually there are Jews and there are probably Gentiles who are showing up to, to worship God, who are being distracted and, and being literally, as the text says, robbed by the religious organization at the time. But the shekel, we think about the shekel, or the, the, there was specifically a sanctuary shekel that has a measurement. It's in Exodus 13. You actually see it all the way back in Exodus where they give a specific. Why am I pointing this out? Because it's important to understand, I think, that when you start seeing these things in the text, uh, there's particulars that are attached to them. Uh, they they knew what the regu- they knew what the standard was. Ezekiel thirty, verse thirty one. This is actually as the the tabernacle is being built and Moses counts everybody and there's a census and everybody has to come and and they give an offering, um, and it, to make atonement for their life in this process. And so. Exodus 30, verse 13, I apologize. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. So there's a specific value to the things that they're doing. There's a specific value um, to the shekel and to the exchange rate that they have. So if you have people who are cheating, right, they're robbing from the people. It makes sense that Jesus would be bothered by this. Um, the, the second aspect of this that I thought was very interesting is Mark's focus on pigeons, right? Did you notice that he said uh, in the text, he actually says that he's turning over the seat for those who sold pigeons. And then he tells them to leave. And if you look in John, jump over to John's account. In John chapter 2, verses 14 and 16, we see that there's more going on here. John chapter 2, verse 14. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coin of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And he remembered, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Oops, sorry, I added a verse on you there, so to verse 17. It's just interesting, as you look at the pigeon in the 
uh, temple worship, the pigeon was for the poor people. Uh, if you could not afford, uh, if you could not afford a lamb when you came to do your sin offering, if you could not afford that, you could buy two pigeons and you could make the sin offering, a, a guilt offering, and a, and, a, and, and a worship offering to the Lord. And it was it was designed for the poor people to be able to uh, come and worship God. Specifically, God made allowances for all people to be able to be at His place of worship, and to actually worship him. And it is believed, uh, one of the commentaries that I was reading um, mentioned that this would be, it was such a market, it was such a vast market uh, of animal sales and, and, and that kind of exchange that it would probably be something close to Walmart, or not Walmart, but uh, Costco on a really bad day. That it would just be chaos with people everywhere and, and changing out and, and buying product. In fact, one of the, one of the, um, uh, one of the commentator, commentaries actually suggested that it's entirely possible that some of, the, uh, some of the product that was brought in was below standards. Was, was that they, it didn't actually meet uh, what God's standard was, but because it had been blessed by the priests, um, they were able to sell it. Now again, I, I wasn't there. So I don't know all the details, um, and I didn't get through all of the, the history books. So um, it was intriguing to me, and I'm, I'm actually very interested in, in following up more uh, with more about how that particular process of worship and exchange happened. But it's in this condition, it's in this state, that Jesus enters the temple, and we have all of this, these animals going around. We have pigeons. We have money being exchanged. We have uh, separation where the, the Gentiles are separated out. Women are separated out. There's the, the court of meeting has been segregated off into many different, uh, several different pieces now, and it is being used to sell and, and, and make quite a bit of money. It's in this place that Jesus returns to the temple this, that morning and he begins to deal with what he sees there. As he comes in and sees this, he, he actually takes a very aggressive stance, right? It, when have you seen Jesus make a, a, a cord or a whip and drive people out of any scenario up to this point? This is a very, very stark contrast to how Jesus has dealt with uh, the, the people. I mean, he's confronted the, the, the teachers of the law. He's confronted the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's brought Scripture to them, and, and he's even called them out at times. But to actually drive people out, to be turning over tables, this is a significant moment for Jesus. And, and he begins to do this and, and drive them out. And I believe that the, the evidence, the, the, the challenge that we have and the, the challenge um, that probably was facing the, the priests and, and the entire entity was the whole idea of serving money and, and serving God. The, the focus of the temple worship had gone away from that of being about God, and it had gone to uh, fulfilling religion. And maybe even the financial gain, which... It's pretty, pretty likely. Uh, Matthew 6, 24, 
reminds us of this particular principle. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And remember, in the context of that, it's laying up treasures in heaven, investing in the things that are eternal and, and, and all of those things. And it's interesting that at, at, from that perspective, as Jesus is driving these out, all, all this commerce out, and he's teaching in this process, he doesn't allow people to carry anything through the temple. Mark specifically references that. Isn't that interesting? So in in this process of of purifying the temple, it appears that um, that people were, were, were transitioning through, were actually traveling through there. It was much, my guess is it looked like a common day market. And it didn't have the, the purity of the worship of God or the, the, the intentional um, focus of the worship of God, but it was quite possibly just a place of commerce. And so Jesus is bringing focus, he's bringing intention, he's bringing attention to himself in this moment, right? As he's driving people out, as he's teaching in this process. And what is Jesus teaching? Um, This is probably one of the most um, impactful things for me uh, in the study this week was actually looking at what Jesus was teaching and how he began. Uh, What does Jesus say in the text is he is challenging the believers or the the religious people at this time, the scribes and and the, the priests. He asks this question, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. He specifically is quoting Isaiah 56. If you turn with me there, we're going to read a section out of Isaiah 56 today. Isaiah 56, 1 through 8. One of the reasons, Jacob, that we gave you that Bible, and this is actually one of the reasons, that particular Bible has the blue letter in the front, and I'm sorry to point you out, nobody can see it, it's okay. Um, but that particular Bible has blue letters in it that specifically takes you through the Old Testament and all of the points where Jesus, the Messiah, or some aspect of the coming Messiah is highlighted in the Old Testament. Uh, most of us, I think, spend a good portion of our lives not realizing you guys, we could just start dancing, you guys, if you want to. Nobody can see you. I'm the only one on camera, I think, so it'd be all right. So, but the amazing part of the text, the amazing part of the Old Testament is where Jesus is at all throughout the Old Testament. It's incredible. His plan, it's not that Jesus got to the temple, realized that all these people were broken and that the religious leaders had screwed this all up so much that he couldn't deal with them. So he says, you know what, fine, I'm going to let the Gentiles in because at least I'll have a chance with them. That, that, it, it's not a happenstance. It wasn't a secondary thought. This is the reality of what God intended to do from the very, very beginning when he established Israel. And that Blue Letter Bible particularly walks you through and will highlight all of those spots where the Old Testament is revealing the loving nature and the caring of God that was established from from the beginning of the foundations of the earth to accommodate, not accommodate, to fix, to to redeem a broken people who chose sin. And my passion for that is that I grew up thinking the Old Testament was just where God was laying down rules and was, was harsh and critical. And yet it's not. It's a beautiful picture of the heart of God. 
It's an incredible picture of who he is and what his heart is. And right here in Isaiah 56 is one of the great texts that actually reveal this truth and point the heart of the believer back to the obedience of the Lord and back to a relationship with God, even in the Old Testament, even when there's judgment coming because of their disobedience that the prophets are sharing. Isaiah 56, 1 says this, Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come, and my righteousness be, uh, my righteousness be revealed. Bless, blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath, who chooses the things that please me and holds fast my covenant, I will give him my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigner who joins themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servant, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Israel's call was to be a house of prayer to all nations. They were to be a representation of God that was an access point to all nations. Even back in Isaiah 56. It actually points all the way back to the promise of Abraham that through his seed, all nations will be blessed. And in Israel, the priests, particularly in, in this passage and the scribes, had, had lost sight of that and, and their focus, their worship, was without the context of God. It was without obedience. takes us back to the vine, to, to the olive, or uh, to the fig tree. As Jesus is coming in and he sees a fig tree that's in full leaf, but there's no fruit. The, how, the, the temple worship, the, the religion of the Jews at this time, had every appearance of righteousness. It had the appearance of worship. And yet Jesus says that you, you're missing... You're missing the point. Here, here these people are trying to come and worship, trying to come and connect with me and, 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 and worship me and exalt me. And you're in the way. In fact, the, the accusation of being a den of thieves is even greater. This idea that they're actually not only in the way, but they're robbing them of this opportunity. Look at what, um, again, it's a quote right out of Jeremiah chapter 7. Follow with me, if you will, in Jeremiah chapter 7, starting with verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah, who enter these gates to worship the Lord. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go out after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal? Murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are delivered, only to go out doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that is in Sheol. Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did uh, to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen, and when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name, and in which you trust, and to the place that I gave to you and to your fathers, as I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I cast out all your kinsmen, all of the offspring of Ephraim. As for you, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry. Sorry, I went right by it. He continues on, Isaiah gets, or Jeremiah gets his more instructions from the Lord there. But what an amazing text is God is pleading with his people saying, you you claim to be followers of me, but you're out doing everything that the world is offering that is against who I am. In violation of the covenant that I've made with you, going against my law, against my word, and you're doing that stuff, coming to the temple, thinking that you can live this way and just show up when there's no consequences. There's, there's, there's actually no fear of discipline or, or, or fear of my judgment. And he says, go and look at the results of this from other nations. I'll show you what I did to your brothers who chose this particular life. Return to me. I think it's interesting that he actually says in verse 9, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and and go after other gods? He describes all of these things and then says, what is this place become uh, that is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Do you see what Jesus did for the the priests at that moment? He literally called them the, 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 the same thing that Jeremiah, the Lord was calling out to the people at Jeremiah's day. You are doing the same thing. You've become a den of robbers. You've made my house into a den of robbers. A place where people steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to other gods. No wonder the priests and scribes wanted to kill him. Right? He kind of got in their face. But what's interesting is, when you, when you look at the text, it's why they wanted to kill him. The crowds were amazed. The people were, were really quite astonished. In fact, beyond just amazed, the crowds, they, they begin 
to cry again in, in the, the, um, out of Matthew 21, that when we read um, the text from there, you, you'll actually see the response of the people as Jesus is teaching, and their response to this uh, really enrages the priests. Look at, look at what they say in, in Matthew chapter 21, verses 14 through 17. This is right after Jesus says, asks them about making, uh, say, my house shall be a, a, a called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. In verse 14 of Matthew chapter 21, and the blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children cried out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. The, the, the priests are actually accusing Jesus of, of having the title of Messiah. They're singing, the, Ben shared with us a couple of weeks ago, so great, the, the, the triumphal entry, and they're, they're crying out to, uh, to, to Jesus, Hosanna, the son of David, save us. They're calling him who he really is, and the priests are going, you need to put a stop to this. Don't, you know what they're saying, right? And what does Jesus do? He quotes for them a psalm, and he goes, haven't you read? Which, by the way, that's a great way to insult anybody that is a Bible teacher. If they really get excited, just find a passage that they're not familiar with and be like, haven't you read? Because that'll just really set them off. He knows this. He's being accused of this. And Jesus doesn't turn it away. He says, yeah, they're right. And you've missed it. You've missed it. I think sometimes as we wrestle with this idea, we, we look at the priests, we look at the scribes, and we're like, man, how could you guys miss this? It's so clear in Scripture. It's so clear. How could you possibly have turned the worship of God and this amazing privilege of being in a relationship to, with God into something that was vain and profaned His name? And really, the question that we probably should be asking is, have we done that in the church ourselves? Has, has the church become about things and programs and, and money? Or is it really about the Lord? You know, when we look at uh, Jeremiah's accusation against the nation of Israel, um, and he calls them... Uh, murderers and thieves and adulterers and and idolaters. I think sometimes we would we'd love to just um, just be free of of that analogy that Jesus gives us in Matthew. But uh, it would, Jesus attaches those exact same words. Uh, James does it. Those things are attached to our hearts, to our behavior, the things that we do and we say. I'm, I'm in awe of the fact that we're in James, right where we're at in James as God has taken us through this time. And as he's taken us through the text here, as, as Jesus is exposing the false religion of the Jews at this time. 
And he's exposing the, their, their failure to live in obedience, their failure to walk as they've been called to walk. And my, my challenge for my own heart is, man, God, is this me? Am I, am I living the appearance of a Christian without the fruit that follows, without the evidence of that in my life? Would you come into my life or into my asp- to my uh, aspect of worship or my assembly or, or anything that I'm doing where I'm, where I'm attempting to worship you and, and say to me, haven't you read? Don't you know what it is I've called you to? Don't you know what it is that you are, you've been gift given as an opportunity, as a privilege, as a responsibility? I want to remind us this morning of what we are. Because the Jews had to go to worship God. They went to the temple. There was a place that they showed up. They had a very prescribed process with which they did their sacrifices and they did their service and they did their worship of God. We have been given a great privilege and we have been given a great, I think, responsibility to respond to God as His children and to worship Him. But it's different now than it was in their day. And how is it different? Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He's dealing with the oneness in Christ, and he actually specifically is, tar- is dealing with, earlier in this passage, back up in verse 11, the difference between the, gen- the uncircumcised Gentiles and the circumcised Jews. And he's talking about this divide, this division that's between them at this time, and he's, he's actually explaining this and how it works. And we pick up in verse 17, and you can read the earlier verses, I would encourage you to, it's, it's just this whole passage in Ephesians has become one of my favorite texts um, as it encourages me. But verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 2 says this, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are being built into the dwelling place of God, the temple of the Lord, the place of worship. Our lives are. Can we come to the, the, the sinful brokenness of our old lives, the sinful nature, what, what James references as the war within our members? Can we ignore those things? Can we, can we do as they, we saw Israel doing in Jeremiah, where we're out in idolatry, in adultery, in uh, the, the sinfulness of robbing one another and murdering one another? Can we live that way and then show up? to our time in prayer, our time in the Word, and say, hey, Lord, I'm good. Man, you're lucky to have me. But I think that's how we do it at times. I think far too often we've misplaced a relationship with God with the religious practice of church. And at no other time in my life has it been more clear to me how difficult, how challenging it is than right now. You guys, I know this has been difficult, but I think this has been one of the greatest blessings for us as a church 
had to wrestle with attitudes and heart issues, anger towards, towards people that, that I don't even know. I had a hard time praying for somebody's salvation. Because <laughs> I guess uh, in the honesty of my heart, I thought they should just die and go to hell. I mean, that's the, that's the consequence of, of not, not actually being concerned about their heart, right? And so at this time, what is the church? Who is the church? What does it mean to be the church? It is so great to see each and every one of you. And yet just because we got here on Sunday does not mean we are the church. We can show up to this place and be just as dead and useless as a fig tree that has no fruit. We can be just like the people of Israel back in Jeremiah's day, the people of, of, the, of Israel, the, the, the priests and the scribes of Jesus' day. That although it was supposed to be a house of prayer, they'd made it into a den of thieves. Of murderers, adulterers, idolaters. And thieves. The real question that I've been wrestling with this week is, would the Lord ask me the same question? Has church become just something that we do? Has church just become an activity that, that we do on Sunday? Is our relationship with God just, is it reduced down to maybe getting through a reading program if you're really spiritual? Showing up to church, but then living the rest of our life as if nothing else matters, as if He's not there? I'm convicted of that. Um, when I see my heart issues, when I see my temptations and, and the challenges of, of my own heart, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to live in the empowerment of the flesh. I want to live the new life. I want to live for Christ. I want to be the church just like I believe each and every one of us does. So what would that mean for you and me to be the church this week? Jesus said, walk as I walked, right? Right? Okay, there are people here, so some of y'all got to respond at least at some point. This cannot be like doing the video without you. Jesus said, walk as I walked. What has he called us to do? Love as he loved, forgive as he forgives, live in accordance to his fathers. There's all kinds of things that we're called to do. And each one of us is at a different spot. Maybe this week what God's called you to do is to actually exercise forgiveness for somebody. Maybe this week what God's called us to do is to exercise grace or mercy or kindness or love. Maybe this week we're supposed to step out of our comfort zone and go talk to our neighbor about the Lord. Maybe this week it's all about dying to myself. And I selflessly give up whatever it is that I want and serve somebody else. I don't know what God's calling in for you to do, but I know what He's calling for me to do. And let's just all be honest. I don't like it. Because it doesn't feed myself. It, it's not comfortable. It's not what I want to do. But I love the promise of the gospel. 
Jesus, God the Father, responds to his people when they respond to him, when they respond to his word. Israel, time after time after time. When their failures would mount up, when when God's discipline would get heavy enough, they would turn and cry out to the Lord and he would respond to them. What an amazing God that while we are his enemies, he reached out for you and for me. What is your house like? Would Jesus have to come and clean house in your life? I'm confessing I think he's cleaning house in my life. In the last few weeks have been the evidence of that. And he's been challenging me. He's been convicting my heart on a lot of issues. I want to encourage each of us to wrestle with that reality and ask God to do the same in our hearts. Father, thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this family. God, I thank you that we are not flawless, but that we have our issues, we have our, our needs, we have the things that, that God only you can do. I ask, Lord, as we go forward, that you would transform our hearts, overwhelm our minds with the reality of your word, with the truth of your word, and that it would cause us, God, to fall on our face before you and exalt you, to worship you. I pray that you would drive out the money changers, you would drive out the commerce from our church, you would drive out the dead and dying aspects of my own faith. The spots, God, where I am an adulterer, where I'm an idolater, where I'm a, a, a thief or a murderer. In accordance with your kingdom and your purposes, God, I pray that you would drive those things out and you would restore my focus, my heart, and my worship of you. I pray that you would do that for us as a church that we'd be overwhelmed by the reality of who you are and it would change how we live every day. And that this time that we've been apart, God, that it would sweeten our time together, that it would sweeten our relationship, that it would, it would motivate us, God, to work on our relationships with one another, to work on our relationships with the lost and with our neighborhoods and with those who are lost and dying in this world. At least in my life, never before more evident is the need of the gospel the need of the church to be the church and to live for you. We pray all this, Lord, in your name that you would take all the glory.